horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. All right. Well, welcome to the show. Hope we're uh, uh, giving you a little break from uh, whatever governor is popping up on your radio or television uh, at, at this moment. Uh, it's been a steady feed over here and uh, all for the best. We know that. But uh, nonetheless, it's good to take a break. You know, everybody's so worried about live sports. And I have to tell them, folks. We got live sports. It's called thoroughbred horse racing. And you not only get to watch the game, you get to play in the game. How cool is that? So uh, thanks for joining us. I I hope everybody's doing well and staying busy. Of course, all eyes will uh, be mostly on Oak Lawn Park uh, this uh, Saturday for sure. As the long-awaited derby is going to be run. That's right. It's first Saturday of May. So it's the derby. But it is the Arkansas Derby. Nonetheless, it's drawn together two solid fields of three-year-olds with an eye on the prize for what is now going to be the first Saturday in September, Labor Day. They're holding it on my birthday. How cool is that? And uh, hopefully I'll be down there with uh, with a lot of other people. But uh, let me set the stage here for our show tonight. Uh the first guest is a first-time starter, but he's an extremely experienced man. And he has out right now the number one Amazon bestseller in gambling, bestseller in sports gambling, and number one bestseller in horse racing. And I think since then, uh, they've added another one as uh, uh, number one bestseller in crime uh, magazine uh, books. Um, I'm sure Mark will tell us. It sounds like a really interesting character. But the book I'm holding in my hand, he was so kind enough to send to me, was The Greatest Gambling Story Ever Told. Uh, a true tale of three gamblers, the Kentucky Derby, and the Mexican cartel. Folks, uh, as you know, I mostly like uh, books with a whole lot of pictures in them. <laughs> but uh, this one I read from cover to cover. It was an easy read. Uh, you kind of didn't want to put it down, but sooner or later you got to go to go to bed every night. And uh, But anyhow, got through it pretty quickly uh, because it was really uh, a fast-moving and uh, just uh, extremely entertaining. It was educational. It, it doesn't talk over anybody's head, uh, but it, it centers around a uh, huge bet uh, that he and some partners made on winning colors uh, going back a few years, 1988. Anyhow, between them, they cash for over a million dollars. The interesting twist of the book was they got better odds at Aqua Caliente in Tijuana, Mexico, than they would have in Vegas. So it was mariachi madness, and it's an interesting story about some of the things that happened down in Mexico, particularly towards the end of the book when 
They tried to claim their winnings from a Mexican cartel. As you know, Mexican cartels are not really happy about parting with a million dollars. So we'll we'll get we'll get talking to Mark and find out more about him and more about the book. Uh, like I said, uh, it's tearing up Amazon uh, right now. Our, uh, our our second guest, uh, you might have just heard him on, on the air, and that's Anthony Stabile. And Anthony, they call him the Big A Stabile, was pretty much born at the racetrack. His parents met at Aqueduct. He's worked in as a hot walker, groom, jockey agent at Naira Tracks, a handicapper for the New York Post. Uh, he handicapped six or seven races a day. And... Uh, well, I could go on and on, but I'll let him uh, tell you about his uh, uh, experiences moving up in the game. But right now, we hear him a lot on the Horse Racing uh, Radio Network site, and they're going to have a big weekend with uh, the Fantasy Derby. Uh, they're going to have a replay of the 2014 Derby quiz. Who was it? That's right, California Chrome. Uh, so uh, he's going to tell us about it. It's, it's going to be a contest you can win. It's free to get in. Uh, but uh, uh, there's the, the, that part, the Fantasy Derby, is going to be between 5 and 6. So if you were looking for derby action on Saturday, you not only can get it out at Oaklawn Park, but you can get it on horseracingradio.net. So we'll be talking with Anthony. Those are our two guests. I've never had e- either of them on, so I'm really looking forward to it. I-, I love having fresh voices on the show for you. Okay, trying to keep up with the reopenings, ladies and gentlemen. And as you recall, it was oh, only about a week or so ago that we had Kentucky Senator Damon Thayer on the show. And uh, not uh, Governor Bashir's best friend by any stretch, which I'm sure he'll admit to, um, you know, saying, hey, Governor, we're Kentucky. We got good looking women. We got bourbon and we got fast horses and we need to get those fast horses running uh, to sustain the industry here in the bluegrass state. So uh, Governor Bashir uh, as uh, f- finally listened to the powers to be. Uh, also, you, you remember I had Eric Hamill back on uh, just a week or so ago, and he was telling us about the great plan of action that the National HBPA has put together to present to the tracks for them to present to their local legislatures or whoever the powers to be are to show them that live racing can take place right now spectatorless and all of the precautions that are put in place and how to put them in place. Uh, the HBPA did a great job of taking them through st- from me, from the time they hit the stable gate to the time they go back after a race, everything that has to be in place to ensure the safety of all of the people that are associated with the horse, the jockeys, the grooms, the trainer. Obviously, owners aren't allowed at uh, tracks right now, but it's 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 very limited. You know, the gate crew and everything that has to be in place, the testing. And so I, I guess that message finally got out to Governor Bashir. And so um, it looks like they're going to reopen the stable area on Monday, May 11th. I think they're hoping the horses will trickle in and not be inundated uh, because, as you know, their horses come uh, pretty much from from uh, e- everywhere. So, um, you know, 
they're, they're going to use all the identified uh, specific protocols. And uh, so now they're hoping that uh, shortly after that, perhaps before even the end of the month, uh, they're going to start uh, running for real down there. At least uh, you won't be able to be a fan of the stands. But as you know, a lot of us have been watching a lot of uh, TVG or Twin Spires or whatever uh, ADW platform you use. It's out there. And, of course, the horses will be streaming in there from, you know, fairgrounds, Gulfstream, Oaklawn, Turfway Park, and, you know, other locales. And, of course, uh, the different training centers that they have uh, in the Bluegrass State. So can't wait till that happens. And uh, what was also announced today is that Churchill Downs is really working on getting fans in the stands for the Kentucky Derby. As I said, that will be held the first Saturday in September. Let's pray things loosen up. You know, we've all been very careful. It looks like, uh, you know, we've offended off uh, uh, the, the monster among us. And, uh, you know, uh, by that time, hopefully we'll be able to go out to a racetrack and see them live and in person. But uh, Churchill is uh, uh, planning and, and pushing uh, to guarantee it'll happen. They said very few people have already uh, handed their, their tickets back in. So people are, you know, willing to come out uh, there to Churchill Downs on Central Ave, and it'll be good weather on Labor Day. So I plan to be there, and I I hope uh, another 150,000 people are with me. So uh, that's the latest on Churchill Downs and what's happening in Kentucky. Uh, now, Santa Anita, you, you know that they've been closed since March 27th uh, under the county health department orders there. Uh, but uh, they are they have issued a letter to the health department and the powers to be in, in their neck of the woods um, saying that uh, they're, they're going to put a condition book out because uh, they're looking for a possible resumption of racing that could begin in about two weeks, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, that would be exciting for Santa Anita and for all of us that want to start watching the action. Now, uh, you know, spectatorless racing continues at a handful of tracks across the country, uh, including not too far from them, Los Alamitos race course, the only uh, track in operation in that state. And uh, other major tracks like uh, you know, Gulfstream and the such. So uh, it, it, it can work. Let's just hope that they uh, lighten things up like they did in Kentucky and let Santa Anita roll again. Uh, lost a real industry leader in R.D. Hubbard. Uh, he died yesterday at the age of 84. This guy was quite the character. I mean, the youngest of eight kids, worked in an ice factory that his family owned and worked his, his way up and uh, ended up being a you know successful uh, owner and breeder. He got into racetrack ownership, but when he bought Rudioso Downs in 1988, he also built and operated the Woodlands. That was a dual Greyhound a racehorse facility. That was in Kansas City. And uh, he also headed up the group that built uh, Zia Park in 2003. And uh, very important, Hubbard helped create 
the NTRA, the National Thoroughbred Racing Association, and uh, had remained a member of their board of directors. Uh, he also co-founded its Racing Integrity and Drug Testing Tax. So, R.D. Hubbard, you will be missed. Real quick on the jockey front here, Joe Talamo won the Jockey of the Week honors. Uh, had some impressive wins and some races I'm going to be telling you about. Uh, coming up right here and uh, what do you say that we get to that last week's races uh, were from Oak Lawn Park it started out on Friday because we all wanted to see what the deal was with no parole as you remember this is the Louisiana bread that Tom Amos trains that just was tearing up uh, the, the fairgrounds and Delta Downs was undefeated going into the Rebel, and but also stretching out to a mile and a sixteenth. And Joe Talamo just wrapped up and realized this horse might be a sprinter. He's one of the many successful sons of violence. So no parole, uh, led by six coming around the, that final turn, and uh, was taken in hand uh, for for the easy win there. Then in the hundred twenty-five thousand dollar carousel. Uh, the winner in here, class prevails. Mia Mischief got the job done. She was second in, in this race last year. Another one of those impressive horses uh, by Stallion into Mischief uh, got the job done. Remember, she was sold privately last year for $2.4 million, and they kept her in training. So it was Mia Mischief getting the job done over Amy's Challenge, who had the lead. She led until the eighth pole. Loved Oaklawn Park, but didn't get the job done in the carousel. And in the Bachelor, this was a great two-horse race. It was long weekend from the Tom Amos barn. He's on fire right now, <clears throat> as is, we just mentioned, Joe Talamo <clears throat> and Echo Town who's a very much of an improving horse, had only made three lifetime starts, two wins from the Asmussen barn, had a brief short lead about the eighth pole, but uh, long weekend. Remember this, it's a three-year-old who was not nominated to the Triple Crown, is now four for five lifetime. Again, Tom Amos, he is on fire. All right, that was a look at some of the major races we looked at last week. And coming up next, really dying to talk to this guy. Uh, his book is just Taken off on Amazon, the greatest gambling story ever told. We've got the author, Mark Paul. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full fields with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart, racing's regular guy. The phone lines are open and are toll-free, 1-866-472-5788, or send us an email at show at winningponies.com. John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show. Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. All right, and with me right now, author Mark Paul. I read a little bit of his bio at the top of the show, but uh, he, he's now best known as the uh, author of The Greatest Gambling Story Ever Told. And as I told you folks, I even breezed through this book, so you ought to be able to. Uh, as you know, I still haven't finished Atlas Shrugged and a few others, War and Peace, but this one was a real joy to get through. Mark, Paul, welcome to Winning Ponies. Thanks, John. Glad to be here. Well, you, you know, as, as it starts out you know, by you sneaking into the track when you're 16 years old, and uh, you're not the first to tell that story. It, it's, it's really easy to be taken up in this game of thoroughbred racing, isn't it? Oh, you know, the first day I ever set foot in a racetrack, I think I was 15 years old. And my thought was, how long has this been going on? <laughs> I really felt like I'd, I'd found home, and I do not regret a day of my life that I've spent at the racetrack. Well, uh, <clears throat> some, now, when is your second book coming out? Because when I read your bio, you know, I want to know about this $5,000-mile sailboat journey through the Panama Canal going all the way to Jamaica to attend uh, Caribbean and South American horse races. That, I mean, that's phenomenal. I mean, were these because I, I know that you were part owner of many horses. Um, were, were your horses racing down there or did you just, just get a, a sailing bug up your butt that says, I'm going to go to South America and watch racing? You know, I've always been somebody that somehow adventure just seems to kind of follow because if I see an opportunity, I, I just go. I don't think about it. I just go. And when I was about 20, I, I had an uncle who was a big international sailor, and he said, I'm selling my business, and I'm going to go sail around the world. Are you coming? I said, what time's the boat leave? <laughs> and, yeah, we sailed from Marina del Rey in Los Angeles all the way through Mexico, Guatemala, Nicaragua, San Salvador, and then through the Panama Canal. And I get to Panama, and it's a long time ago, and I, I hear there's a racetrack. I was a racetrack. I got to go. Who's coming with me? And nobody would come with me. So here I am, you know, 20 years old. I'm six foot three. I'm Norwegian, so I'm, you know, blonde, blue eyed, six foot three guy. And I don't have a lot of money. Yeah, so I had to get I had to get on a bus, actually three buses, to go to the racetrack in Panama. It's amazing I wasn't you know robbed and that I got there alive. But I did. And I, I saw the races there. You know that's where Lafitte and Kai got his start, and uh, it was it was probably a stupid thing to do in retrospect, but it was it was a lot of fun. 
Well, at that age, we all do some stupid things. I won't even go in, go into my stories. But what's interesting is that you went on these junkets uh, by yourself. I mean, uh, I guess back then we're so young, dumb, and stupid. We think we're Superman and nothing can happen to us. So uh, uh, even though it, said, it states in your bio that along the way you were robbed a few times. Uh, that I was. <laughs> uh, eventually it, it led into this uh, amazing story. So um Tell me a little bit about before we're going to get to the book. Don't worry about that. Uh, but the fact that you've owned interest is interest in 38 racehorses. Who did you do that with? At what tracks did you do it? Well, I didn't have enough money like most young people to, to start trying to do anything in horse racing um, <clears throat> for until I you know got older into my 30s. Then I wound up I wound up buying a, a filly that I bred twice. Totally, absolutely got my ass kicked. Um, it was just awful. Um, my, you know, she kept breeding slow horses, and I was paying feed bills and the like. And although finally, um, I, I moved in. Uh, I live in in L.A. now, and I met a guy, and it was a guy named Aaron Wellman. He now is the founder of Eclipse Thoroughbred Partners. And sure, I know. I started. Them. I started. Yeah, I started uh, investing with Aaron. Oh, 20 years ago or so, or something like that, 15 years ago. And now I just buy individual parts of thoroughbreds, and it's so much better because it's it's way more fun. To, I'd rather own 5% of a horse because if the horse wins, you don't want to be in the winner's circle by yourself. And if the horse loses, you'd rather have uh, 15, 20 of your buddies with you to go to the bar and cry in, cry in your beer. Yeah, I've always been a big proponent of partnerships. I, I, I've done both. I've done, I've bred, I've owned uh, independently, but I've had my best experiences when I went into partnerships. And I guess uh, there's an old saying, it's uh, better to own part of a good horse than all of a bad one. And I've had that experience. Yeah, I've won two grade one races with Aaron. So I'm, I'm, I'm a believer in that. Absolutely. So, um, Tell me about now. I, I kind of painted the picture slightly, uh, but I wanted to leave most of it for you. <clears throat> How did you graduate into this uh, amazing story? And the other thing was, now you're a little bit older. You're not young, dumb, and stupid, but you let money lead you to Tijuana because the odds were so much better there than in Vegas. And I'll just share a quick. I, I've only been to Tijuana I believe once in my life and it was quite an experience and uh, uh, you know it was like you know we'd go in to buy, shop and buy I don't know a belt or something like that and it's like uh, can I get a receipt oh you, you don't need a receipt don't worry about it you know I wasn't 10 feet out of that store and there was a cop with a machine gun stopping me saying hey are you stealing that let me see your receipt and, you know meanwhile the store owner was setting me up to end up in a jail in Tijuana <laughs> yeah, I, I've been to a jail in Tijuana. You don't want to be there. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. Well, uh, I, I just want to tell you in this story, and I, I painted the picture that the huge bet, you know, that you made on this fantastic filly. You know, I'm a big fan of hers, uh, winning colors. And then uh, we'll work into the end of the story without giving it away. Uh, but I, I must say, Mark, I, I don't know how much writing you've done before, but you did a nice job at I'm a 
big proponent of being an ambassador of the sport and not talking over people's heads so they can learn about it. And throughout the book, you'd, you'd mention something about racing and then you'd not, you wouldn't belabor it, but you'd go into a little explanation of what that meant. You know, you were kind of teaching the readers, not talking over their heads. And also, uh, Mark, you, you did a, a nice job at personalizing it with, um, you know, getting people familiar with uh, the outstanding personality in racing, uh, such as Dwayne Lucas. But you also got us up close with uh, Luis, uh, winning colors uh, groom, and of course, a person that actually somebody should write a book or movie about Jeff Lucas, uh, the life he led. And uh, it looked like he was on his way to greatness when, when he met tragedy on the backstretch when uh, he was uh, struck by a uh, out-of-control thoroughbred. But, but you really, it was, it was nice the way that you wove them into the story and you described D. Wayne Lucas not caring about much after the derby except to find his son Jeff and embrace him. Um, for sure. It was a an amazing time. You know, people didn't realize at the time that that Lucas, although he was dominating the sport of thoroughbred racing, um, you know, he was the first guy that was really flying horses um, <clears throat> all across the country to challenge even smaller racetracks. And his barn was an absolute national barn. Uh, there was a saying we had as gamblers then. It was that bet D. Wayne off of the plane. Yep. And many times the toughest horse in uh, to win uh, they had to compete against was another D. Wayne Lucas horse in the same stakes race. He was flying everywhere, and he had entered more horses than any other trainer in the history of the Kentucky Derby by 1988, and he'd never won the race. And people were very critical of him, saying he couldn't win the big one. And he also had he had a lot of guts because he he would take fillies um, because of his experience back when he started as a quarter horse trainer, the same way Bob Baffert did, which is interesting that the, maybe the two best trainers uh, of our lifetime both came out of the quarter horse ranks and then graduated into thoroughbreds. But you know he learned that that fillies could take on colts in big races, and he would run them right at him. Well, he certainly did with this one, because as you described in the book, the first time I saw winning colors, I said, there's no way this is a filly. <laughs> you know, she was just so muscular and huge and had an attitude. You, you, you got the feeling that, uh, you know, she knew she was something special. And obviously, uh, you, you also do a nice job of describing Eugene Klein and his involvement and that, you know, uh, even though, uh, you know, he had owned an NFL football team, that this might have been his last hurrah. And he didn't have to worry about the horses getting on his plane and uh, doing coke in front of the stewardesses or <laughs> anything like that. He had control over this. And, it, you know, he pretty much looked around and said, well, who's the best manager in this business, for lack of a better word? And it was D. Wayne Lucas. And it was just really interesting and how the two of them bellied up to the bar. And he just said, you know, you want to get in the game at that level, you're going to have to pay for it. Uh, but this really paid off and, uh, you know, sent Eugene Klein out a, 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 as a winner. So, but, you know, again, he's another one in, in addition to Luis and Jeff that you kind of wove into the story. And y you give a nice human well, aspect to it. Yeah. Well, he was important. What really led to this this fantastic score of ours was 
you know, we were huge, you know, kind of semi-professional horse players. We had, you know, we had jobs. I was a commercial real estate broker, but we would go to the track and live at the track. We were single. And this was a time of excitement. And, you know, it's kind of sad what racing is today, although even though it's still big, there's not a lot of attendance at the racetrack now because most people are simulcasting and betting from their homes. But, you know, what's great about this book, if I don't say so myself, is that it, it, talk, it, it shows an era when racing was cool. It was sexy. It was you wanted to go to the turf club. And when you went there, there were beautiful women and they were dressed up in, you know, dresses and short skirts and hats. And it was an event and an excitement. And there was, you know, celebrities in Literally, if you wanted to go to the racetrack on the weekend for a big stakes race, you better get there earlier. You're not going to be able to sit down for the entire day. And I wanted to recreate a little of that. So, we, you know, we still see that, of course, during the Triple Crown races and the Breeders' Cup. But it was, it was like that on the weekends at Hollywood Park and Santa Anita. And it was an exciting, exciting time. Yeah, I, I, I was an East Coast guy. And uh I, grew up not far from Saratoga and it was like that. You know, you, you, you'd go in there and every now and then I, I'd land a clubhouse table with my aunts who were kind of connected and, you know, you'd see Huntley and Brinkley and, you know, television stars and people like that. And the certain, you know, the big people, the Phippses and those families that were there and you felt like you were amongst the sport of Kings. Uh, it, it was a different era. Now I, I'm not giving away the end of this book, but it was scary, Mark. I mean, you when you went back. Well, down, let me, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, let me just set it up a little bit. Um, you know, you're talking about Eugene Klein, who owned the you know San Diego Chargers and the like. But that's it was Eugene Klein that caused us to make this bet, and we won't give away the end. But in late 1987, there was this filly winning colors, this big ginormous Amazon of a great filly. And she was winning all the female races by, you know, seven lengths, eight lengths. And my my gambling buddy, Dino, and I saw this horse and, you know, saw the speed numbers that she was running. We were actually doing speed numbers back then before the buyer numbers were even printed in the, in, in the racing form, of course. And we heard, we said, wow, this horse is amazing. And we saw an interview with Eugene Klein. And you, he was in his late 60s. And he'd had two heart attacks. And an interviewer asked, he said, Mr. Klein, you've owned an NBA team, you've owned a NFL team, and you've owned these magnificent thoroughbreds. If you could win the Super Bowl or you could win the Kentucky Derby, which one would you take? And he said, oh, I'd take the Derby. There's, at the time, there's 26 football teams. One of them will win. But there's 40,000 thoroughbred horses born every year, and only one of them can win the Kentucky Derby. And so my buddy Dino and I were hearing this, and we said, wow, this guy is a billionaire. He's had two heart attacks. His goal in life is to win the Kentucky Derby. Just maybe he'll put this filly in against the Colts in the Derby six months in the future. So we started shopping around, and we found that, you know, we could get, I think at the time, like 15 to 1, 16 to 1 in, in Las Vegas. And we heard that they, she was offered at 50 to 1 in Tijuana at Agua Caliente. And Agua Caliente had been a pretty famous racetrack. It was just, you know, 15 minutes south of the 
of the Mexican border, and we thought, well, we can get down there. That was where the 510 was originally invented. That was kind of like the original pick six. And we went down there, and we bet $5,000 on her to win six months before the race at 50 to 1. To win. So we were trying to win 250000 with her. And uh, a Philly had only won the Kentucky Derby twice in 114 years. So obviously our odds weren't very good that we were young and stupid and crazy. And so we did that. And then later on in the book, we talk about how I had a, ran into a buddy who would want to pick six and wound up making a much, much, much larger bet even than us uh, on her chances. And so she starts continuing to win and she's advancing and we're saying, wow, um, this, this Philly might actually make it into the Derby. And we start hearing negative things about the racetrack and the racetrack's owner. Namely, we start hearing that the track's going to go bankrupt. They had ceased uh, doing thoroughbred racing because simulcasting at the same time in 1988 had just come onto the scene. And now people used to, you know, there was no racing on Sundays for a long time in the United States. And people would drive down to Mexico, to Tijuana, to get their, you know, get their action down. But now everybody was simulcasting and looked like the track was going to fail. And then we hear that the track is owned by this guy who is a suspected member of the Mexican drug cartel. <laughs> we go, oh, you got to be freaking killing, killing, kidding me here, right? Yeah, like, they don't like, a, they don't like to pay off at 50 to 1, Mark. <laughs> no, they don't. So we start hearing these stories, and <clears throat> there's the most famous journalist in all of um, Tijuana, his name was, he went by the pen name El Gato, and he starts writing negative articles before the Derby about the racetrack and its owner. And a month before the race, the Kentucky Derby, he writes a negative article about the owner of the racetrack where we made the bet, and the journalist's offices are machine-gunned in broad daylight, but the journalist lives. We're going you know, Jesus Christ, where the guy just writes a negative article in the paper about the owner of the racetrack and he machine guns his office in broad daylight. What's he going to do to a couple of gringos who want to, <laughs> you know, come down there and win a million dollars from them? So, but catch this, two weeks before the race, before the derby, the journalist is brave, brave guy. He writes another negative article about the owner of the racetrack and the owner of the race, uh, pardon me, the journalist is shotgunned to death in broad daylight um, two weeks before the derby. So we're so going, had, oh, great. That had to make you feel real comfortable going down there to cash your bet. <laughs> well, yeah, we're like, oh, my God. <laughs> Well, listen, Mark Paul, my producer's telling me that uh, my time has run out. I could talk to you for an hour. Uh, It's just so, so nice talking to you. Uh, Real quick, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I just want to tell you that it's going to be real easy to get this book. I would say at Amazon's probably the best way, way to go, Mark. Yeah, it's on it's on Amazon. It's also on Apple Books, and you also may really enjoy. It's now in an audio book available on Apple Books and available on Amazon and Audible.com. The audio book's pretty cool too. Well, Mark, I'm going to tell every. Well, first of all, I'm going to try not to loan this to too many friends because I know I'll never see it 
again, so I'm going to tell them to buy their own. But on, on a personal note, Mark, I, I want to thank you and your wife, Renee, uh, for, for raising over $750,000 for City of Hope Cancer Resource uh, Research. It's, it's very close to my family right now, and uh, anything we can do to stop that cursed disease uh, is fantastic. And for you to donate that much money is is pretty awesome. It really is. Well, we didn't donate, but we did raise it for charity. So thank you very well, much, John. Appreciate your time. Appreciate either way, somebody's got to take the reins and get those things started and across the finish line. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Paul, I highly recommend this. The greatest gambling story ever told. If you got a friend uh, who loves the game and also loves it's not mystery, it's reality. Uh, Mark puts together a fantastic, it's not a tale, it's a real story, but you won't believe some of the things that happen. Mark, thanks a million for joining us on Winning Ponies tonight. Thank you, John. All right. That was Mark Paul. Going to take a quick break, and we come back. Anthony Stabili is going to be with us from Horse Racing Radio Network. Going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full field with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart, racing's regular guy. The phone lines are open and are toll-free, 1-866-472-5788, or send us an email at show at winningponies.com. John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show. Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. All right, I've been looking forward to getting uh, this gentleman on the show for a while. Uh, Anthony Stabile, uh, I think he's a doppelganger for uh, Ed Meyer that used to host this show. I got to see a picture of him like, heck, that's Ed 10 years ago. So, Anthony, welcome to Winning Ponies. It's great to see you. I mean, uh, outside of maybe working concessions and parking cars, what haven't you done at a racetrack? 
um, I've never ridden. That's one thing I've never done. Um, I, I was probably, I probably would have been overweight by the time I was six and a half or seven. So I was never able to make weight. I have driven in media harness races though. Uh, now grew up, uh, folks met at Aqueduct. Uh, dad's been in the business his whole life. So started out helping him at the barns when I was a kid and was, uh, you know, groom hot walker, uh, had a jocks book for three weeks until I realized I was alerted until five thirty in the morning. That's when I decided that I would come on this side of the, uh, on this side of the fence. Um, started at the New York post in 1999 was a handicapper and reporter there for a while. And, did some stuff for New York City OTB, hosted their show, Thoroughbred Central. Um, yeah, and then I've uh, been with HRN and with the Horse Racing Radio Network since really late December 2013, so six full years over at HRN and picked up the Naira stuff in the mid-2017, uh, mid started doing Talking Horses alongside my co-host and my tag team partner, Andy Serling, and um was backing up John and Brielle until we stopped racing here in uh, mid-March uh, as the racetrack, backup racetrack announcer here at, uh, at Aquaman. Wow, you really do remind me of Ed Meyer because in addition to being an, an odds maker and working in the racing office, he calls races too. This is amazing. I got to introduce you to Ed for sure. You guys would really hit it off. Um but uh, do you kind of, uh, it looks like somebody that's kind of in your neck of woods kind of does the uh, Aqueduct, Belmont, uh, Saratoga route as kind of the, the fabric of your racing life. Am I right about that? Yeah. Lived in the same house a mile from Aqueduct my entire life in a town called Howard Beach. Um, so, yeah, uh, lifer, uh, the, the definition of a racetrack lifer. Um, and yeah, Naira Circuit, but you know what I do? Well, one of the things that I've always done from my days at the New York Post all the way through now, one of the shows I host on HRN is Red Brand Radio. Um, and basically, we just go track to track. Yesterday, we covered racing from Tampa, Will Rogers Downs, Fonner Park. Today, we were at Gulfstream in Oakland. Same things tomorrow. Um, you know, throughout the year, we'll probably reach two dozen racetracks by the time by the time all is said and done. So, I've always tried to keep my finger on the pulse of the national scene as well, and not just on the stakes level, not at the just at the upper echelon. You know, trying to stay familiar with the with the circuits in their entirety to be a little tougher um, with so much on the plate. But uh, you know, we try it certainly. <laughs> It hasn't been that difficult, John. I don't have to tell you. Just five thoroughbred tracks going for the better part of the last six weeks. Um, so it's been a little bit easier keeping up with. I never, I never thought I would know that Jake Elysiak hits at thirty percent at Fonda Park, but here we are in twenty twenty, and I do. <laughs> I. I, I cashed my first bet on the Will Rogers stakes uh, last week. You know, it's like, okay, you know, ba basically it d doesn't change that much. It's just things are at a different level and you got to figure out, figure out the competition. Well, I need to ask you, cause I love the circuit that, that you've covered all these years. Uh, if you can, who's your favorite horse that you've got to see in person? The, my favorite horse of all time is the one and only easy goer. So, like I said, my dad, um, you know, I grew up with my dad running up and down Jersey and Pennsylvania, uh, 
my dad had a, you know, he, he never really had the quality of horse to be here in New York until a little later on in my life when I got to the post, actually. Um, so we were always had, uh, you know, cheaper horses, a lot of Monmouth, a lot of Meadowlands, places that don't even exist anymore, Atlantic City and Garden State Park. And, but my dad was, we were always at Aqueduct or Belmont, and my dad was, my dad's a true Damon Runyon character. I follow a lot in his footsteps with my dad's the original. And everybody took a like. Most people like my dad. They love or hate my dad. And Shug McGay, he loves my dad. And I was a big Easy Goer fan. And somewhere in my garage is a picture of me with my I'm an Easy Goer shirt, um, hanging out with Easy Goer on a September afternoon at, uh, in the fall of 1989. And that's, uh, he was my first. I tell people, you remember your first love? I said, yeah, he was this big chestnut son of Alley Dar. I'll never forget him. So uh, easy goer. That's something that'll never change. Easy goer is my favorite horse of all time. Yeah, he was gorgeous. And in my man cave at home, I have an autographed Pat Day picture of him winning the Belmont Stakes. So I have uh, that too. The big, uh, the big gap between him and Sunday Silence with the from the infield. No, no, it, it's a tight shot, but it's a beautiful shot because he was okay. such a magnificent horse. It's just a shame that uh, he didn't get to prove himself at stud, uh, you know, because if he threw anything that looked like himself, uh, that horse was going to be awesome. But uh, I guess they well, said the same thing flag, to the secretary. I, certainly my flag had a lot of uh, a lot of his tendencies and, his, and her mom, personal ensign's tendencies. She was uh, obviously his most prolific runner. But, yeah, it was nice to see her around anyway. Yeah, greatest race I ever saw. If people ask me that question, it would be personal ensign defeating the horse that we just talked about in Mark Paul's book, uh, Winning Colors. There was just no way that horse could catch Winning Colors at Churchill Downs in that muddy Breeders' Cup. But yet somehow, under the urging of Randy Romero, she got it done to stay perfect. She was phenomenal. And of course, as, as you stated, that whole family... Uh, has continued to make their mark on the on the thoroughbred breed. Okay, we know who your favorite horse is. Was it a, a race that he won, or is there another race that stands out? Because God, you've got to see a lot of great ones. He was uh, with him. It was just basically his presence and being able to go to the barn and spend time with Mister Phipps and with Shug and uh, with all the connections and just being around him. You know, being a racetrack kid. Um, the the, the for me, the most important race I probably had ever been there live for was the 2015 Cigar Mile. Um, I had made a lot of money and kind of made my hay at HRN picking Tonalist to win the Belmont Stakes to be California Chrome in 2014 and made an awful lot of money with them. Again, you know, what we get to do every day affords us a chance to be at the track and be around them and, and, and whatnot. And in 2015, things had kind of, uh, had a lot, a lot going on. Um, I had a collapsed vocal cord and, uh, I was having a really tough time talking and stuff. When you host, uh, 11 hours of radio a week, it's kind of tough to not have, not have your pipes working. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, just, uh, was kind of run down, uh, we had scaled back a little bit at HRN, so I was just kind of surviving again. I, you know, come back from not being work, not having not worked for a while, and came back from uh, from the dead, really. And now it was back to struggling again. And I don't know, it was just kind of like it was a tough run for me. I was I wasn't feeling great. My throat was bothering me. My beloved New York Mets had just gotten beat in the World Series, um, and I don't know. I had kind of lost my spark a little bit. 
and he was one of my he was my favorite horse in training at the time. And they turned for home in the Cigar Mile, and he was dead last. And it was really like this watershed moment. We're just like, um, just this is just not. Maybe this isn't for me anymore. And uh, he exploded, and he didn't beat much. In fact, one of the horses he beat, Matru, ran for twenty thousand at Oakland today. He's still going at ten years old. Um, but he came running down the center of the track, and he got up. Uh, he beat Matru and Red Vine in the Cigar Mile. Um, I jumped out of my chair, didn't bet a dime on him, jumped out of my chair. Uh, Keisha Courtney was covering on HRN with me that day. I don't remember most, most of it. She said it was one of the great. She said, you rooted without rooting because I couldn't talk, really. Um, right. And that was it. I, everything was back, and, and it was that was probably the most influential race. I used to tell people all the, nine, all the time the 89 Breeders' Cup Classic was the race because easy goer and Sunday silence. And I was really upset that day, but and now I look back and it's probably that cigar mile. I'd be honest with you. It's, this sounds ridiculous to some people. I, if he don't get up, I don't know if I'm still doing what I do. So thank, thank God he did. That's great. Well, uh, I, I definitely want to get your input since I have you uh, on the Arkansas Derby, but r- real quick, uh, c- can you tell our uh, listeners uh, about the fantasy Derby? I've already told them about the replay of the 2014 Derby and that you guys are going to be pretty busy on Saturday, but uh, describe the fantasy Derby. Cause I think somebody stole your idea and is using <laughs> it someplace else. Well, I, all I'll say is this, our Derby stuff was up um, for vote at horseracingradio.net in late March. Uh, and the next thing I know, a week ago, uh, we, have a, uh, we have a rival. I'll leave it at that. Um, Mike Penner, our producer, Lido Apina, on a, on a call, just talking about what was going to happen during the COVID-19 crisis should we lose uh, racing fully. We were gonna, our plan was to stay on the air. Easy for us to say now with uh, the light at the end of the tunnel, but our plan was always to stay on the air. And Lee and Mike really cultivated this idea for a fantasy, uh, an HRN fantasy derby. And we allowed the fans to vote for their five favorite derby winners. The criteria were they had to be from 1970 on or any of the Triple Crown winners. And we compiled all the votes. Michelle Penner, the COO, compiled all the votes. Um, The field was set. And from there, we will have a full-blown one-hour race broadcast on Saturday, 5 to 6. You can tune in Sirius 219, XM201, stream at net. So far, we have three terrestrial affiliates, 1300 Lexington, ESPN in Lex, uh, 680 in Louisville, the ESPN affiliate, and another affiliate in Utah, of all places. Um, what? 20 top vote-getters are in, the, are in the gate, nine of the Triple Crown winners, 11 others. Five to one morning line favorite, Big Red Secretary. He'll break from post 16. Our own Jude Feld set our morning line. Uh, it'll be Mike Penna and the voice of Keeneland, Kurt Becker, on the call. Myself, Tom Leach, who everybody knows from Kentucky basketball, um, as well as Bobby Newman, my co host on Red Brand Radio now with Steve Grabowski. It's usually a three man show. My man, Steve Grabowski, because of social distancing, not on the broadcasts right now, but he'll be back sooner rather than later, hopefully. Um, we get back to racing here in New York. We'll be on from five to six, and we have we will have a full race broadcast for you. There is a way for fans to participate starting tonight at midnight, so just about three hours away uh, here on the East Coast. You can go to horseracingradio.net and you could fill out your HRN fantasy trifecta, pick the runners in a row, one, two, three, 
Uh, the, the broadcast is presented by Claiborne Farm. You'll get a pick pack, uh, a prize pack if you pick the first three finishes of the HRN Fantasy Derby on Saturday. And you can tune in on those stations I gave you. Um, you finish one, two, three. You pick the words to finish one, two, three. You'll get a prize pack courtesy of HRN and Claiborne Farm. All right, and our listeners, after after you get to watch that, don't worry. You're still going to get to watch the Derby, but it's going to be a couple of Arkansas Derbies. Uh, Anthony, take us through. Uh, the race 11 will be uh, the, the first uh, part. Uh, it, it's a mile and eighth at Oak Lawn, and, and if there's a single standout on the Saturday card anywhere, it's got to be Charlatan. Draws the rail has natural speed. I mean, when you start spitting out 100s in your first two races, uh, Baffert's got some horse there. I, um, I, I used my DRF this weekend, 46 pages for the DRF. I didn't uh, get a chance to print the Brisnet stuff out. Brisnet, by the way, nice enough to sponsor uh, the past performances for the HRN Fantasy Derby. The PPs for the race are up on the website. Yeah, look, like you said, John, um, if there's a free bingo square, God, it looks like Charlatan. Two horses are going to come out of each division. Um, so Shooter Shoots, number six, and Wrecking Crew, both going to be coming out of division number one. And with Shooter Shoot coming out, the only other speed in the race, man, it looks like Charlatan's just loosey-goosey on the front end. He gets Martin Garcia. Boy, Bob and, and Martin have won an awful lot of races together. Uh, and Bob loves that money at Oaklawn Park. I got to tell you, he's had some success down there. This meet alone, six for 11 going into tomorrow's action. Um, he's gone from the rail. You know, I, I Governor Morris, maybe, Basin, Basin, maybe, but I probably couldn't have said it better than you did. So it's around 105 and 106 buyer speed figure in his first two starts. I can't imagine that there's anything in here. And that's the other part of it. When they broke this race into two different divisions, man, save Governor Morris. Could he have picked an easier bunch out of the 22 horses that got dropped in the entry box? He probably couldn't have. So no. it's very, very fortunate with the draw. You know, there's a, there's a half a million. There's a hundred derby points on the line, which – those 100 points might mean more than they do most years because there's going to be a lot more points made available this summer. Um, but, man, he looks like he's the goods, right? I, it's hard to really pick against him. He surely does. Probably the, the, the tougher division uh, would be race 13, which would be the second division. Just to give you a heads up, I only got two minutes left. Um, and, he, obviously, uh, Nadal goes to the top. I guess uh, the, the wise guys will say, well, if there's a – a horse I want to beat everybody after Charlton wins the first one is going to be jumping all over Nadal. He's a legitimate favorite has never been beaten in his life. And, and, and as he progresses in distance and certainly his workout regimen has been sensational for Baffert. I mean, he's the horse to beat in here, but, uh, uh, Anthony, who might we put underneath or do you have an upsetter? I'm going to try and beat him. I don't think the source wants to go this far um, right now. I'm not sure. I'm not sold. That racetrack kind of carried him last time. Um, I'll use him protectively, but I, I don't. I don't want to try and find a bomb in one of the other races to pick four to pick five and go dead. I don't like Storm the Court. I don't like King Guillermo. I don't really like Nadal. Um, I like Farmington Road a little bit. I like I like Wells Bayou a little bit. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that track comes up fast. I wouldn't be surprised if Silver Prospector ran a big race. Um, and I haven't finalized the top pick for this race, but, uh, and again, Saratogians coming out of this one 
as is fast enough. So those are the two that will be scratched out of this heap. Um, you know, I haven't really finalized the top pick, but it'll be someone between Farmington Road, Wells Bayou, and I think I'm leaning towards Silver Prospect. I think he can work out the right kind of trip. He was completely uh, eliminated in the slop last time. I think this horse is much better on a fast track, and he's going to be a right price. All right. Well, Anthony Stabile, you've been a, a great. Uh, I, I got your phone number now. You're in trouble because uh, I'll, I'll be calling you. But, uh, you know, tell Mike Penna and, uh, and June Fell that I said hi. I've known those guys for, well, I'll say over a decade now for sure. And uh, they're great partners. Again, uh, folks, for all the details, I know we, we pack 10 pounds into a five pound sack, uh, but uh, ju- just to go go to HRRN. Uh, HorseRacingRadio.net's the website. HorseRacingRadio.net, and you'll find all the information and fill out your uh, fantasy try. All right, you got it. Anthony, thanks a million for joining us tonight. Really enjoyed it, and I look forward to having you back on again. You got it, and I look forward to it as well. All right, have a great Derby weekend. Okay, folks, well, that rounds out uh, another show. Uh, also, in addition to Anthony, I, I want to thank Mark Paul. I want to tell you, you will, you'll be happy you spent the money to read uh, the greatest gambling story ever told. I also want to thank uh, my producer, Josh, and I want to remind everybody that uh, – the, the easy win forms at winningponies.com are doing great. I mean, uh, just uh, today we nailed a pick three for over 300 bucks. And uh, yesterday at Tampa Bay, uh, we had a pick four, only a 50 cent one that paid 545. So uh, easy win forms at winningponies.com. Josh, thanks a lot for getting me out in time. And folks, thank you so much for listening to Winning Ponies. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. We hope the information from today's show will benefit you at the next post. Join us for more insight next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Also, look for our weekly newsletter. Have a great week, and may your photos always be winners.